Welcome to Word of Grace, a local assembly in the Berkshires. Thank you for joining us for this time in the Word. Oh, perfect songs, uh, Gene, that God led you to, to uh, play. Perfect because of what God has given me to share this morning. And uh, so, Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is in the New Testament is the most mentioned psalm in the whole psalms of all the psalms it's the most mentioned the second one would be Psalm 69 would be the second most mentioned psalm so Psalm 22 verse 1 it says my God my God why have you forsaken me Far from saving me from the words of my groaning. Where it says God there, the Hebrew is L, capital E L. And literally, it always refers to might, mighty. So the psalmist here, we know the psalmist in here is, is David. He cries out, My might, my mighty one. I might. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from delivering me from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry in the daytime and you answer not. And in the night, you cannot be silent. But you are holy, dwelling amid the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you to deliver them. They cried unto you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not confounded. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despise of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They wag the head. He trusted in Yahweh. He will deliver him. He will rescue him, for he delights in him. But you are he that took me out of my mother's womb, making me confident upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from the womb, from my mother's belly. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong ones of Bashan have beset me round. They opened their mouth upon me like a lion tearing and roaring. Like water I am poured out. And my bones are all disjointed. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you have laid me in the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of evildoers have enclosed me, piercing my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They gaze. They stare upon me. They part my garments among them. And upon my vesture they cast the lot. But you, Yahweh, be not far from me. My strength haste quickly to my help. Rescue my soul from the sword, my only one from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, yea, from the horns of the unicorn, the aurochs. You have answered me. And that's the first 21 verses of this psalm. And there's so much here in, in the psalm, and we'll just barely uh, touch it this morning. 
But as I said in the beginning, this psalm is the most frequently mentioned psalm in all the New Testament. Of course, this is a picture of David as he's going through a trial. He's being persecuted by Saul. And David has his faults. And some of them can be so readily picked out and so readily be seen by others and can be a, a source of comment. And so David, he's on the run and uh, Saul is persecuting him and he's going through a very, very extremely tough time as we read those verses. But the reality of these verses is the fact that what is given to him through the Holy Spirit is the very Spirit of Christ. It's taking him far above anything that he could ever really feel on his level. Because it's the Spirit of Christ. And these Psalms that's exactly what it is. It is the very spirit of Christ as we read these. It goes right into the picture of the cross. And that's what this is speaking of. There's so much of prophecy that was fulfilled when you read Matthew, the 26th chapter, Matthew, the 27th chapter, Matthew, the 28th chapter. You see the unbelievable fulfillment. You'll see it in Luke, the 23rd chapter. And I love the scriptures. And I love it when the Holy Spirit brings them back to me because they're far more than just knowledge. They're far more than just me quoting scriptures. And they're very life to me, just like they were to the psalmist, like they were to, to David, because it is the word of Christ. And how beautiful they are. That life that's in the scriptures when they come through, when we're in the midst of weakness, in the midst of failure, in the midst of at times judging ourselves or being judged very harshly by others, and uh, possibly uh, God knows. He knows, and Isaiah forty-six verse ten, He knows the end from the beginning. And just think of the things that David went through. But Christ takes them upon him, even in this very psalm, this very psalm, because we know that in Revelations 13, 8, that Christ was always the lamb in the Father's eyes, but he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. I look at the Bible, and when I look at it, I see so many men and they're all weak and they're all frail. Every single one of them. They're all sinners. They're weak and they're frail. And, uh, and God uses their weakness. Psalm 102 verse 23 says, He weakens my strength. If you ever read 2 Samuel, the 16th chapter, when you read verses 5 through 14, what you see there is Shimei, he comes out. He was of the house of Saul. David is surrounded by his mighty men. And Shimei, Shimei comes out and he's cursing him. 
and he's throwing stones at him. He's condemning him. And sometimes the words and the thoughts and the speech of individuals, they can be like stones of condemnation. Uh, they can be very hurtful. And David's mighty men, boy, they were right away ready to end Shimei. <laughs> they were ready to end him instantly. But David said, no, no, don't. Because it just might be that God sent that person who would rip you up one side and down the other. They may mean it for evil, but God means it for good. He said, I, I believe that God has sent him to do, to do a work in me, to, to possibly for me to see things in my life that, that God in his love has removed. When I think of all the men in the Bible, every single one of them, I see their failures. I, I see their sins are right out there for everyone to see. In a sense, when you're out there, when you put yourself out there, when you preach and when you teach, you put yourself out there. And in a sense, you put yourself out there to the view of everybody. And God forbid that any of us should ever see each other outside of Christ. And, uh, but anyways, David was going through this tremendous trial. And some of the things that he did, for instance, when his son Absalom turned on him, the reason, of course, that he did was because when Absalom's sister was raped, he killed the person that did it. And David was furious with him. And he didn't even allow him to come into the palace. He wouldn't have anything to do with him for two years. And that caused Absalom to really turn on him. And to live in self-hatred toward David. And self-hatred is quite a thing, especially when that self-hatred... And, and by the way, bitterness... What bitterness is, is that is its anger turned inward. It's turned inward. When I, when the people there, that are there, that I might not, when they're there, be so readily to express how I really feel, <laughs> or because they might be bigger than me, or they might be absent, or they might be gone. When I can no longer express that anger, that, that uh, vitriol, when I can no longer do that, that anger turns inward and I become bitter. And there's a bitterness there. But David, again, what I love about that was, what I love about the, the 22nd Psalm is because it brings out clearly, clearly, beautifully the cross of Jesus Christ in prophecy. It begins to lift that psalm up where David could not even begin to walk. There's the only one that could tread that place, and he was the perfect son of God. 
he was perfect. He was very perfect in every single way. He was holy and, and perfect in his humanity, his impeccable humanity. And so he would be there. And the way that that psalm is, so many psalmists and so many men of God, it's known as the, the hind of the morning. It's called, it's like the light just before dawn, just the first rays of light begin to come out and begin to chase away the darkness. And that's a beautiful picture, of course. The darkness that Christ went into on the cross, and again, those chapters that I spoke of in, in, in Matthew 27 particularly, when there was such a darkness because of what was going on in Christ between Christ and his his father while he while the sin was put upon him the perfect holy innocent one completely innocent completely holy where all of that was put upon him and of course he would cry out in Psalm 22 verse 1 literally fulfilled in Matthew 27 verse 46 my God my God why have you forsaken me there's no answer no answer comes back he has to go in, into the darkness he goes into the garden of Gethsemane and there in the garden he sweats as it were just in the thoughts of having to go into the darkness of the cross and, and be forsaken in his humanity by the Father was just overwhelming to him. And so in Luke 22, verse 44, even the very thought of it, he began to sweat. As it were, it says, drops of blood were coming through his pores and in suffering. Why? Because he was going to take on him all the fault, all the blame, all the personal sins, all of it, he was going to take it upon him and remove it. And then on the cross, and out of that darkness, we see the begin we begin to see the rays of light to come out. It is said that when they would begin to the, the person that would be the one that would go out of the temple to, to initiate the sacrifice it's, it's, it would say when the first rays of the morning would come out he would come out and yell the rays are here there's light coming in darkness and he would get the sacrifice ready he would get it ready and he would prepare the sacrifice He went in to the dust of death, it says, in Psalm 22, verse 15. He said that they would pierce my hands and feet. And of course, we see in Revelation 1, verse 7, when he appears, it says that every eye will see him and they which also pierced him, the nation of Israel. But of course, each and every single one of us <laughs> took part in that, piercing him. He took the blame. So much of what we want to blame others for, he took the blame. He eliminated it. 
He eliminated the blame game. We all, in a sense, at times because of weakness or just because of failure or sin, we, we, we can do that ourselves. We can get into that ourselves. And the only time that we do do that is when our eyes are off of him. When something else distracts us from the view of the one who's completely dealt with everything. Yeah, he really did finish every single thing. He had us in mind. Of course, he had his father in mind in propitiation, but as a substitute to reconcile us to the father that would be in his justice completely cleared, he has reconciled us to him. And by doing that, he has reconciled us to each other. And that's his heart for each of us when we fail each other. Sometimes when we put false expectations and burdens on others, sometimes we live in past things that have happened to us, wanting someone else to fulfill them, and when they don't, we, they not only get what, we, what they desire us to fulfill, but in what happened to them in their past that never was fulfilled. But the reality is, is that Christ has fulfilled it. He's dealt with every single thing. He went into the darkness. There's nothing but light for us now. That's why in 1 John 1, verse 7, it says, walk in the light. Is he is in the light. Then you have fellowship one with another. Because the blood of his son, his sacrifice, is a constant and a continual healing and cleansing. He sent his word in Psalm 107, verse 20. He sent his word and he healed them. That's what heals us. A very precious, intimate relationship with a lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And so, we walk in the light. We walk in the character of who Christ has made us to be. Light that came out of the most incredible suffering and shame. You know, he took all of our suffering. He took all of our shame. Therefore, he is not ashamed to call us brethren in Hebrews 2, verse 12. He's not ashamed, and that's the fulfillment of Psalm 22. Verse 22, he sings praises in the midst of all that that is his bride. He sings praises. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. There's no shame in it at all. There isn't any in it. And so we are so thankful this morning that he has dealt with every single thing. He has past, present, and future. Even all the failures and the sins that we would commit, and God forbid that we should, we don't want to, but even still, even all those future pains and things that we might face, they've already, in his eyes, been dealt with because he paid past, present, and future for it all. And he is interceding for us. He intercedes for us by name. 
He never leaves us. Never leaves us in Hebrews 13.5. In Joshua 1.5, he said, I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. Others might. Others might, but I never will. And so, light comes out of darkness. It's the first rays in the midst of a dark, deep, and desperate circumstance and situation. There's light that's going to come out. God has a way of making every single thing right for us. And the reason he does is because his way of doing it was dealing with his son on Calvary. There isn't anything, there isn't anything that he hasn't dealt with. There's nothing at all that is. There's nothing at all that we cannot trust him for. He'll have things in our life that maybe it seem hard and painful, but they are only an opportunity for us to draw near to him and trust him fully. Because we've seen it in our own life. We've seen how constantly he has come through in perfect timing. In his perfect timing. And we don't know what he does behind the scenes. But one thing is for sure. The one that's doing it is the one that dealt with it in the midst of a darkness. And that all that could come out of it would be light. That's what it would be. The Lord, that's why it says in Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation, my deliverance. Of whom will I fear? Of whom will I fear? And so, Psalm 36, verse 9, With you, O God, is the fountain of life. God forbid that we should ever leave the fountain where the fresh supplies continue. With you, O God, is the fountain of life, and in your light we will see light. We will see things as you see them. Remember again, Jacob, when he thought it was over for two of his sons, by sight, by what it looked like, by what he could determine, he would say, even in his own life, what was happening to his sons, he would say, in Genesis 42, verse 36, all these things are against me. They're against me. But all that was happening was that God was preparing for light, a beautiful light to come out of that darkness. We said recently, too, that light is very pure in itself. It's the only element that, that refuses and repels corruption. Light, the light of the truth of who Jesus said. Remember what he said in John 8, verse 12? I am the light of the world. He that walks after me will not walk in darkness, the darkness of thoughts that don't derive from him, the darkness of the thoughts of doubt, the darkness of the thoughts of sight. He that walks after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Will have it. 
we can trust him. We can trust the one that the Father gave us to remove everything, to remove everything. And thank God that we have his word as a very loving, constant reminder. One thing that I know that David was thankful for, one thing I, th I know that Adam was thankful for, and Joseph, and David, and Peter, and James, and John, and Paul, and Hosea, and Ezekiel, and Elijah, and Elisha, and all these men, that when others would seek to attach their failures to them, that God never did. He never attached their failures to them. He attached them to Jesus Christ. And even in their worst day, can you imagine? And we don't want to fail. And we don't want to hurt others. And we don't want others to hurt us. But when that happens, on our worst day, God only sees us in Christ. That's how he sees us, because that's how we are in the light of reality. God forbid that we should function anywhere else. I'm thankful this morning that God doesn't know me. Even And God forbid that I should ever sin. In Romans 6, 1 and Romans 6, 15, that grace may abound. God forbid that I should ever preach it either that way or use it as a license to sin and get away with it. To think that I'm something when, when in reality I'm really, I'm really nothing and I'm nothing without him. But God forbid that. God forbid that I should do so. But God forbid that I should ever ever, ever doubt him. Because he that doubts is damned if he eat because he eats not of faith of the absolute dependence upon the reality and truth of who Christ is. Not only who he is and what he did, but who he is for me and what he did for me. And I, we would never, and I would never, ever, ever, ever want to use sin as a, as a license, uh, grace as a license to sin, ever. But I am so thankful that even in the future, if I fail, God doesn't attach it to me. When others fail us, when we fail them, God doesn't attach. And when, when I fail someone, God doesn't attach that failure to me. And he doesn't attach it to the person. He attaches it. He's already done that to Jesus Christ. He's already done it. And he did it once in Hebrews 10, 10. And we are completed and perfected forever in him in Hebrews 10, verse 14. So out of that darkness on the cross came the, the purity of an unbelievable light. 
And God forbid that we should ever, at any time ever, see ourselves outside of the purity of that light or others outside the purity of that light. God forbid that we should ever do that because we set ourselves up as a judge. And thank God when we do fail one another. Thank God that when we do, we can confess it to him and we can confess it to one another. We can confess the fact that he's faithful and just in forgiving us because Christ has dealt with it. What would we do in relationships without forgiveness? Tell me what relationship could ever be sustained without forgiveness, without the light of of love that would confirm itself to us constantly. That's what forgiveness is. It is God and his love constantly, through the light of the word, confirming who we are and even gives us the fact that we can confess it so that we can continue to experience the intimacy of a love in confirmation, constantly confirming that love to us. Why would we want to be occupied with anything else? Why should we be? Well, thank God for that. That because he was forsaken, we never have to be. We never have to be. When that voice, the only one worthy, was, would cry out in very, very loud tones, very loud, and out of the darkness would be, my God, my God, why, is you, why have you forsaken me? And the reason is, is that none of us would be. And we can walk in the light and the total assurance of that. And then we can even experience the fact that happy is he that condemns not himself. Yes, conviction. Yes, confessing it but yet not condemning himself in the thing that he allows. Because he that doubts, he that doubts, he that believes that somehow God has to condemn him for something, he that doubts is damned if he eat, because he doesn't eat of faith, absolute assurance and dependence upon who Christ is and what he's done. And he that doubts is damned if he eat because he eats not of faith. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin or is very much the self-life. Very much the self-life. God's way is perfect. His way is Christ. God's plan is perfect. There's no plan without him. There isn't a single plan without him. Sometimes in weakness, and in failure, we depend upon others. We confess things to them. When the only one that we should confess them to is Christ, because he will never misunderstand. He will, he will never hurt us, ever. He won't do it. He, will, he won't desert us. He won't put us on probation. 
but he'll cover us. And some think, eh, listen, is, is God in the business now of covering our sins, or have they been dealt with by Jesus Christ? So in this sense, he covers us until we're able to walk in the light and reality of the truth of what he's accomplished. He's always there for us every single time. And so we need to just draw near, draw near to him. And, and when we do, he promises to draw near to us. So thank, we thank God for the cross. Again, one of these times we want to get into the specifics of Psalm 22 in a very, very specific way. The first 21 verses are incredible. Even the very numbers of all those psalms, the very numbers themselves are so significant. They are so loaded. The first 21 verses are incredible as they go into the sin offering in type. That's what they go into. <clears throat> so we know that just in closing, we'll just give a few truths on these and then we'll stop. But I wanted to get into the meat of some of this, but we have the first 21 verses. Again, as I said, just said, they go into the sin offering. And you'll know that these realities go, go into, are brought out specifically to in Leviticus, all types that were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. But then we see that 21 is, if we multiply that, would be three times seven. Three, the number of the divine, the trinity. The seven would be the perfect, complete work. And even in those first 21 verses, we see the accomplishment of Christ. Yes, a trial through of David, but lifted up far, far higher than any suffering that David would ever go through or any glory that he would experience is brought out in the 22nd Psalm. And there are those first 21 verses, the completion of the work of God through Jesus Christ. Beautiful verses. And then we want to get into it's sometime in the future, the 69th Psalm, which is probably the second most uh, psalm that is alluded to and brought out in the New Testament, the 69th Psalm. And of course, that goes into the trespass offering. The sin offering has to do with the nature and character and essence of God himself. The trespass offering has to do with the governmental aspects of the nature of God in terms of there would be failure, there would be something that would be required, and then a payment would be demanded. All of that Christ has accomplished. And we want to get into, in the very near future, if God wills it, the truth and the value of these scriptures even in the very structure of the numbers is incredible. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the truth of the cross. <clears throat> thank you for the, the, the beautiful songs, each and every one led right up to 
the truth of the cross of Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that you gave us him, Lord. And even in the midst of our failure, midst of our struggles, midst of our shortcomings, the midst, midst of our hurts, when we hurt others or when others hurt us, we can, we can be so thankful that there is something that you have for us even in that. A beauty of an intimacy, an opportunity of fellowshipping and intimacy with the one who suffered like no other. Who could, who could be the only one that could tread there but with us in mind. So we're thankful, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening in. We hope you were blessed and God was glorified. Feel free to go to our website at awordofgrace.org for daily posts and teachings.